Well, we're just so glad you're here, man. You know, it's uh, just glad to have all of you out today. And first of all, let's, let's give a big hand for the mothers that are in here. We're just grateful to them. And... I want to say this too, you know, that um, no matter what culture says, I just, I just do not know how they, can, how they can't see this, that, you know, God has made us different. Men and women are different. And so there I said it. I know that's a really bold stance, but... Um, but I want to just say this also, that because of how God made you ladies, that the truth of the matter is, even if you haven't biologically given birth to somebody, that you've been, you've been that for somebody as well at some season in life. So let's give a hand for all the ladies as well. So, um, and so I, this, you know, I, I've done some of these, you know, for several years and actually I'd I'd move some out and move some back in and I asked the staff ladies, should I do it this year? And they're like, no, nah, I don't think so. They said... Well, tell me what it is. I'm like, tell you what it is. I've been doing it like years. And you don't remember? No. And so I, I told him, and I said, if you guys don't remember and you work here, I'm doing this. So if you're one of the few people that remember me doing this, welcome to the club. The rest of you, you know, they've been here several years and haven't been listening. You're missing some funny stuff here. So anyway, um, so um, let me share some funny things with you. One, one is what three words solve every dad's problem? Ask your mom. That's a solve. Um, they asked children these questions. How did, your, how, did mo- how did your mom meet your dad? And one child said, mom was working in a store and dad was shoplifting. And so um, <laughs> every relationship needs a beginning story, right? And so, was, um, and so uh, what, what did mom need to know about dad before she married him? One child said his last name. And I think, you know. <laughs> You get to a point where you kind of lower your standards. Hey, do you have a last name? That's all I need to know. So uh, one other child said uh, she had to know his background. Like, is he a crook? Does he get drunk on beer? I mean, you know, does he make at least $800 a year? And did he say no to drugs and yes to chores? And so um, um, why did your mom marry your dad? One child said my dad makes the best spaghetti in the world and my mom eats a lot. And so... Why did your mom marry your dad? She got too old to do anything else with him. And so <laughs> you, you do get to that point. So uh, one other child said, my grandma says that mom didn't have her thinking cap on that day. So <laughs> how, did Mose begin in the, <laughs> how did Mose begin in the United States? Mother's Day was first suggested in 1872 by Julia Ward Howe, who wrote the words to the Battle Hymn of the Republic as a day dedicated to peace. Ms. Howe would hold organized Mother's Day meetings in Boston, Massachusetts every year. In 1907, Anna Jarvis from Philadelphia began a campaign to establish a national Mother's Day. Ms. Jarvis persuaded her mother's church in Grafton, West Virginia, to celebrate Mother's Day on the second anniversary of her mother's death, the second Sunday of May. By the next year, Mother's Day was also celebrated in Philadelphia. Ms. Jarvis and her supporters began to write to ministers, businessmen, and politicians in their quest to establish a National Mother's Day. It was successful as by 1911, Mother's Day was celebrated in almost every state. President Woodrow Wilson in 1914 made the official announcement proclaiming Mother's Day as a national holiday that was to be held um, each year on the second Sunday of May. He established the day as a time for public expression of our love and reverence for the mothers of our country. By then it had become customary to wear white carnations to honor departed mothers and red to honor the living in a custom that continues to this day. 
Um, this is how much we spend on Mother's Day. I actually had the number wrong. It's actually risen since the last time I checked it. And Pastor Aaron said this to me. I thought it was good. $35.7 billion, with a B, dollars is how much we spend on the moms and ladies in our life. Uh, you know, some of that's for jewelry. 77% is for we give cards. 69% give flowers. 55% take out to eat. Um, it's risen to how much we spend per mom on average. The figure I got was $274.02. We spend more on flowers than any holiday except Christmas or Hanukkah. Um, you know, the pamper we give them is well-deserved. Uh, insure.com, I think it's insure.com, one of, one of the uh, organizations that uh, assigns an annual salary to the work that moms do at home was valued at, um, at one time, a few years ago, at the start of the pandemic, was like $93,920. Now it's up to $184,820. And so um, that's a lot. Baby, you know, I'd, I'd love to pay you that much, but um, you just have to be happy with the $200 a year you get. So anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, you should feel cheated. Uh, but you have me. And so uh, I'm the gift that keeps on giving. Um, so um, <laughs> here's some serious quotes. Abraham Lincoln said this, I remember my father, um, I remember my mother's prayers, and they've always followed me. They've clung to me all my life. Thomas Edison said this, it was, he was in fact referred to as addled by one of his teachers on one occasion. His mom was so furious that she went down to the school and confronted the teacher and administration about the comment. She was not at all pleased with the response she got, which is what prompted Edison to be removed from the school and homeschooled by his mother. At some point, he became aware of what happened, and he said this about his mother in later years. My mother was the making of me. She was so true, so sure of me. I felt I had something to live for, someone I must not disappoint. Um, many years ago, a named Robert Ingersoll was a notorious skeptic regarding the gospel. In his heyday, two college students went to hear him lecture. As they walked down the street after the lecture, one said to the other, well, I guess he knocked the props out from under Christianity, didn't he? And the other said, no, I don't think he did. Ingersoll did not explain my mother's life, and until he can explain my mother's life, I will stand by my mother's God. Booker T. Washington said this, in all my efforts to learn to read, my mother shared fully my ambition and sympathized with me and aided me in every way she could. If I've done anything in life worth attention, I feel sure that I inherited the disposition from my mother. <clears throat> Somebody said this before becoming a mother, I had a hundred theories on how to bring up children. Now I have seven children and only one theory, love them, especially when they least deserve to be loved. Let me show you a couple things here on the screen. I, thought, I saw this, I thought it was pretty good. It says, good moms have sticky floors, messy kitchens, laundry piles, and dirty ovens. Somebody that describes what you left in the home today, right? <laughs> but also, as a result of that, you have happy kids. It's good. And then this right here I thought was good. A few things your mom may have not told you. She loves you more than herself. She's watched you while you were sleeping. Every time you're upset, her heart sinks. You make her life meaningful. She thinks you're one in a billion. You're the best thing that's ever happened to her is what she would say. And so I thought that was pretty good. You know, one of the verses that Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he said this, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I know that same faith continues strong in you. Timothy was a leader in the early church. He pastored the church in Ephesus. He was mentored personally by the Apostle Paul. This letter was written to him, and his faith 
was, was deposited in him by his mother as a result of her mother, her, you know, his grandmother depositing that in his mom. I'll say this. The second most attended service we have in the year is Mother's Day. And Father's Day is pretty far behind it. Let that register with us men for just a little bit. <laughs> Women, it says something not just about your influence, but also how you use your influence. I know many people are here today to honor you. And it's your influence and the deposits you've made in life that's created love in them that even if this isn't their normal, they come to church today for you. I mean, it, it honestly challenges me. We have to do better. We just do, man. They're just, they just, um, they do way better at this than we do. And we can rise up and do a better job. But because of how well you use your influence for the right things, that's just another day to honor you. Let's give our ladies one more hand. Yeah. So I'm thank you. As we're doing the series called Love Is, and I, I wanted to continue with the series so it would speak to all of us, but I wanted to think about qualities of a mom that, um, that, you know, that I think most of us have experienced. Now, I realize this, that Mother's Day for some people is painful for a couple of reasons. One of the reasons can be is that as you hear all these accolades uh, regarding mothers, some of you, that may not be your story. You may have been brought up in a home where your mom experienced brokenness to a point that she just wasn't able or, or just wasn't in a place or didn't, for whatever reason, demonstrate to you the things and characteristics that you hear about. And, you know, I, I just want to tell you, I, I understand that. And, you know, if there's an ache in your heart or a wound there, you know, um, that Philippians 4.19 says that God will meet all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And even though the context of that is taking care of our, our personal needs, and I don't think it's limited to that. I think if there's that space in you, if you begin to talk to God, he'll, he'll begin to heal that place in you. But for most of us, you know, we have that experience with our moms and who they are and what they did. And so I want to look at some things regarding what love isn't. You know, first of all, today we'll talk about the fact that love isn't fragile. Everybody say fragile. In other words, it's not easily broken or wounded or whatever. It's not, it's not fragile. So if you would open up your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 18. If you're still learning your way around the Bible, there's an Old Testament, the book of Genesis begins the Old Testament, and a New Testament in the book of Matthew begins the New Testament. Matthew 18, verse 21. Matthew was a follower of Jesus. He was one of the disciples. So the things he wrote, they were eyewitness accounts. If you're like into apologetics and that type of thing, there's a book, I think it's called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses or the Four Eyewitnesses or something like that, talking about how, why we believe that Matthew literally wrote the book of Matthew. It's a, it's a great uh, study uh, if you like that kind of thing. So Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? How often should I forgive somebody? And then he says, seven times. And I would imagine, you know, when you think about people offending you or hurting you for seven times, that that's a pretty, you know, to forgive them that often, is a, it's a pretty extensive thing. It's, it's not a small thing. But he goes on to, uh, Jesus' response to that is interesting. He said, no, not seven times. Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. 70 times seven. In other words, he was, he was sharing with him, and, you know, he wasn't like, 
giving us a, a, a lid, hey, only forgive them 490 times. I think he was trying to pick a number. It was hyperbole in order to make a point as far as that our forgiveness should not be, it should not be one of those things that, that, the, that the pail empties pretty quickly. That for love to work and for love to last, for it to journey a long way, then forgiveness has to be a common part of the toolbox. Yeah, I should be real transparent with you. One of the top reasons why people, and maybe it's every church, and I would assume it is, but maybe it's not, but I know for our church, one of the top reasons why people leave our church is they get their feelings hurt or they get offended, not just always with me. I mean, some of you can see how that would happen. But, you know, my wife's threatened to leave it several times. Like, okay, I'm finding another church, you know what I mean? But, 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 or they get, hurt with somebody else. I mean, and just like that, they're out of here. Just like that, they go. It's just, it's just so fragile. So fragile. I mean, when we first started the church, we were a few years into it, and uh, we were just going through a season where it was just very difficult financially for us as a church, which meant it was difficult for us financially as a family, and we went, you know, a period of time without getting paid. And um, I remember that uh, a friend of mine that kind of actually helped us start the church, Steve Smotherman, I just called with him and shared with him and, you know, just telling me you know, this, what we're dealing with, that kind of thing. He ended up, he, he sent us some money to help. And I remember I'd shared with Ashley, I told her about it. And I remember she, she cried. And she said, how do you get friends like that? And I said, you just stay in each other's lives. Just stay in each other's lives. If your love is so fragile at the minute that their brokenness shows up or their imperfection shows up and you run, you'll never have a long-term relationship. You'll never have friends that journey with you through seasons. That in order to have friendships that last, in order to have relationships that last, that forgiveness has to be a common part of your relationship toolbox. I know when I do weddings, I always close the wedding with this or almost always close the wedding with this, that, you know, my parents were married for 50 years and, and it wasn't perfect. They would argue with each other. Sometimes, you know, they, they would have conflict and, and that kind of thing. And they're just a couple of blue collar people just trying to get through life together and, and that type of thing. And what a gift, you know, they gave. But I remember there were three phrases that were around our house regularly. One is, I'm sorry. My dad was a great apologizer. And I don't mean that as a criticism, but he was willing quicker than anybody to ask for forgiveness. The other is, I forgive you, and forgiveness was prompt around our house. And then the third one is, I love you. So many times, people have, have just gotten so fragile or so hurt that the minute that they're disappointed, they, they leave. Now, let me just say this. There's a difference between forgiveness and trust. And when we forgive somebody, it doesn't mean that we automatically necessarily trust them again. Trust is a whole different principle. It, in a sense, trust has to be earned. It has to be proven over time. And so there are times when we forgive people that 
we don't give them access to everything, not because we're trying to punish them or not because they owe us, but we're giving them an opportunity to regain trust with us again. But I've just seen people in churches, I've seen them in friendships, I've seen them, they have no long-standing friendships, no long-lasting people they journey with. It's because they're just so unwilling to forgive whenever they've been violated. Here's the thing that seems to be left out whenever people get hurt. And that is, is that they tend to lose sight of the fact that not only have they been hurt by people, but people have been hurt by them as well. I know this about me. I, I've been hurt by people. There have been people in my world that I thought loved me, that I thought I could trust, that sometimes you run into issues, things happen, some of them don't even speak to you anymore. And they say anything about you, it's negative. And it would be real easy to be bitter and to be angry and hold things against them. But I have to remind myself that, yeah, I was hurt by them, but there are people walking around that have been hurt by me. And so I want to be forgiven. I want grace. I want mercy. And so real love is not fragile. It's not easily broken. It's not easily, you know, it uh, doesn't turn tail and run. It's, it's messy. It's steely. It, it hangs in there for the fight. As parents, we know this. In marriage, a lot of times you know this. But in friendships and in churches and other areas of the life, that whenever God plants us in a situation, we have to go into that place with an awareness and an understanding that at some place, their humanity, their brokenness is going to show up and it's going to require me to follow Jesus into a place of forgiveness in that person's life. And whatever justification I make to be bitter, to hold on to it and be punishing with them, whatever justification I make, I've stepped away from the word because the word has called me to forgive. Again, not trust, but forgive. And so number one is this, is that love Forgives. Everybody say love forgives. forgives. Often. Often. It's a part of it. Let's look at number two. Go with me, if you would, to John chapter two. John chapter two, you're in Matthew. The next book over is Mark and then Luke and then John. John was one of the original 12. He was an apostle. He followed Jesus, we think, in his late teen years. He lived to be in his 90s. Um, We have um, documentation of writings of people that were personally discipled by John. And so we believe John wrote this account. And in John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby, there were six stones, water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dig some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies lasted the uh, taste of the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, He called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. 
Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Canaan Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So this was the first miracle that he did. So a lot of times when we read these things, if you're like me, you've read these accounts, it's real easy to just think that, you know, just kind of picture just this thing happening and that thing happening, but not really taking the whole thing in context. And the reality of it is, if Jesus and his mother were at this wedding, then this was probably a friend of theirs or a family member or somebody that they knew. So, you know, they, they, they were guests at a wedding. And it's not beyond the realm of reason to think that there's a possibility that Mary was involved in the oversight of it or in putting it together and, and that type of thing. But I think it's interesting that in this moment that she, you know, whenever they had this situation, she went to Jesus and her response was, that she told the servants, do whatever he tells you. At that moment, she was turning loose of anything that she could, you know, anything could be attributed to. She could, there may have been other ways she could have fixed the problem. We don't know what her options were, but this is what took place. And as a result of that, it was her stepping back and letting Jesus step forward into this situation and let the attention be focused on him. Not because he craved it, not because he needed it, but because that's just who she was. So because love isn't fragile, the second thing is love lets others shine. Yeah, I think on Mother's Day, I had to pick this one because I had to pick the first two for sure because I knew my mother forgave me a lot. But she was also a person that would let me shine. And I didn't realize that as a kid that that's what she was doing. You know, she had her own gifts, her own strengths, her own things to do. But she was always willing to just kind of kind of step back and just kind of help me if she saw where I needed it. I think about Tina, my wife, and she was, her and I had a little bit of a different childhood and that type of thing. And when she, she got saved as a teenager, and when she was 20 or 21, 20, she came to Bible school, 21, which came, she lived in California, and not with a family member, I mean, she came to Bible school. She drove halfway across the country from California to Oklahoma to go to Bible school. Not because her family was taking her or anything like that, but she had a love for God. She felt sense of call in her life for ministry. So she comes to Oklahoma. She goes to Bible school. She meets this guy from Claremore that won't leave her alone. And so, and um, finally she thought, well, either, either put a restraining order on him or marry him. And so, well, that she chose option two, but um, so we get married, and you know, about a year later, we enter into full time pulpit ministry. And Tina, as a teenage girl, she'd spent some time, you know, even when she was a senior in high school, kind of being on her own, and she'd learned to do hair, and she was very good at it. But she didn't move to Oklahoma so that she could become a better hairstylist and create a clientele. She came here because she felt a call to ministry. We got married and we moved to Arkansas. And we did ministry and the church wasn't in a place where they could pay enough for both of us to be engaged. So she did hair. We were there for a short period of time. Then we went to New Mexico and kind of the same thing. We were in a place and um, we were making just, you know, not much over $1,000 a month with no benefits. And we were, pray, you know, praying with David. She did hair, and for our years there in Clovis, while I was, who went to Bible school too, was out front doing ministry, 
She was behind the scenes doing things so that I could do that and be that. Now, I can be real transparent with, and this shows how dense I can be and sometimes probably unconsidered I can be. There was a period of time I never recognized what was taking place. And my wife didn't move to Oklahoma so she could marry me. She didn't know who I was. And she didn't move there so she could build up clientele. She'd move there so she could have ministry. But she was selflessly willing to do things in the background so that I could continue in ministry out front. I know when we started the church that we're not the typical pastoral couple. I know that some people would say, well, you know, I'm used to a wife being more engaged, you know, with, with you know, up front and that kind of thing. And, and, but what they don't understand is that for some people, those are luxuries that others couldn't afford. But my wife did it not because she preferred to do that, but because she was willing to let me stand out front. Over time, there have been accolades, different things have happened. And sometimes she's not thought of, but the truth of the matter is, is that I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for her. And there's just something selfless about that. For the people in our life that are willing to let us have our moment. I think one of the greatest things we can do is to not be aware of what's taking place. And there's something that I think all of us have to be willing to do in other people's lives. That we have to be willing to share whatever platform the Lord's given us. We have to be willing to let other people have their moment and share that with them. But love isn't fragile. It, it doesn't get its feelings hurt if it's not always out front. If everything is not always about it, it doesn't get sad. I, I remember I had this one uh, relative. We would do family reunions, and I was out in the, uh, outside with my cousins, and, um, and you know, we would hang out together because we saw each other regularly, and we, we hated family reunions back then. We were kids, and, um, and, but I remember one day we sat there talking, and man, the door slams open, and I have a great aunt leaving, and she's like 70-some years old. And she's walking, and I can tell she's upset. I said, are you okay? I'm leaving. I said, well, what happened? She goes, nobody's talking to me in there. And I said, you're going to have to walk a real long way. <laughs> and she kind of walked for a little bit and finally turned back around and came in. And I thought, just how, how fragile, how fragile Love is this, though. It's willing to let others shine. That it's, it, it wants people to be able to use their gifts, their moments, celebrate their opportunities, be glad with them when they're honored. It lets others shine. Let's look at this last one and we'll close. Go with me, if you would, to Ephesians 4. Here in John, the next book over is Romans, I'm sorry, Acts, and then Romans, and then 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and Galatians, and Ephesians. <clears throat> Ephesians was a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. And in verse 1, he said this. He said, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you've been called by God. Then he said, always, everybody say Always. So he says, he says to do this always, he said, always be humble and gentle. 
Always be humble and gentle. Humility is our posture before God, but it's demonstrated in front of people. But it's a posture before God. It's something only he can tell if we're being humble. And gentle. Then he said, be patient. Everybody say, be patient. patient. Now, that's not a fun thing, is it? Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Be patient. Look at the person next to you and say, be patient with me. And then you say to them, be patient with me too. Yeah, man, we need to be patient with each other. I know that got a little less, uh, you know, volume. But anyway, (laughs) be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. And he says, because we love each other, they were called to be patient with each other and make allowance. That doesn't mean we overlook. It doesn't mean that we affirm it and say, well, what you're doing is okay. No, what it means is we're giving each other room to grow, space to grow. You know, in the meantime, we still have those conversations where it's like, hey, you can do better. Hey, this is the direction you go. But to just have that sense of, of love, you know, I'll talk more about what I'm going to say right now next week. But Proverbs 16, 6 says this, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. You know, based upon our personality, some people are really good with the truth, just But that's not just what brings about change. It's truth and mercy. Now, on the flip side of that, in fairness, some people are really good at mercy. But that in itself doesn't bring about change. It's mercy and truth. Mercy and truth. I know for me, I'm I'm kind of mercy-minded. And the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, there are times where I'm sure people have left and somebody goes, what was that about? I'm not really sure. Maybe he was correcting me. he kept talking about how God loves me and that kind of thing, and so I'm, I'm grateful for that, but I don't really know what the rest of the conversation was. But mercy and truth is where real change takes place, and it says this, we make allowance for each other, and we make allowance for, it, for people in our life that we make um, allowance for each other's faults because of their love. Here's what I've discovered, that when we do that, when we operate out of that sense, that again, love becomes messy, that there's times that we're going to give people too many chances. There's times that we're going to be, it's going to look like we're taken advantage of. We've helped people before, and I know sometimes people are like, you got to quit helping them. And sometimes there does come to that place, but I've just decided that if I'm going to make a mistake, and I'm going to, that I want to make a mistake on helping somebody that we've helped too much, that we were more good to than they deserved, than to help some, than not help somebody that we should have helped, because we're going to be so cautious, and we're going to make sure that we don't help the wrong person. You know, if we do it right, it looks like people have one over on us sometimes. That we journey longer than what other people would say that we should. But the scripture says that because of our love, we make allowances. We give room. We give God an opportunity to work in them. We don't quit telling the truth. We continue to tell the truth. But we give God space. To do a work in them that only he can do. To do a work in us that only he can do. Here's what I realize. When I do that, when, when I'm better to people maybe than they deserve, I realize this, that God's better to me than I deserve. I don't want everything I deserve. I don't want to, and so I don't want to be with people like, well, you're going to get yours. You reap what you sow, man. Let's just see what God does to you now. We're almost having a party of their life crashing at some point. But because of our love, we make allowances, we give room to grow, we give space and realize that it's a work that God 
does. We have to trust that he's doing that work. Now, again, they cannot respond to it. But if they won't respond to him, who am I to think he won't, they won't respond to me? And so we make allowances for it and we give them room to grow because love's not fragile. I want you to just want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. I want you just to think about this and just take a moment and just begin to pray. Begin to look at your life and to see if there's anybody that you need to offer forgiveness. Think about if there's anybody in your life that God could use you to propel them, to lift them up. They need somebody to to give them an opportunity, a chance. Anybody in your life that you're just frustrated because you just don't seem to get it. And maybe God's calling you to journey with them another mile further than a lot of other people would. That because our love's not fragile that we forgive. Let's just take a moment and just spend a moment with God. Let him... Speak to us and deal with us.